My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, it's great to see you. We're so glad that you joined us today. Um, we're going to finish up a conversation we've been having over these last few weeks called Picturing God. But before we do that, would you join me in praying? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence to this place. Jesus, we believe that you are here with us in, this, in the midst of us. And as we worship you, we ask that you'd open our eyes to who you are around us and with us. Emmanuel, the with us God. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts to what you want to say to us in the ways that you want to shape who we are towards you. And Father, would you be leading us forward as we are your kids. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be here in this public school. God, we pray that you would continue to bless Sheridan School as the faculty and the staff are on break this summer. God, we pray that you would rejuvenate them, that you would give them strength. God, that you would keep those kids safe in their different neighborhood activities. God, that you would be with these people just as much as you're with us now because we believe that you are a God who is on the move. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to join in what you're doing in the world, Jesus. Be with us now. Speak to us through your word. We pray that you'd open up our ears to what you want to say to each one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I, um, I got to, the, the, it's always a privilege in my mind to, to go to the airport and to fly somewhere. So I got to fly to Indianapolis, Indiana for the first time. Anybody from Indianapolis? All right, cool. It, I, oh, one person. Congratulations. Um, and so I, I'd never been there, so that was cool. Um, but I have a little bit of a problem where I end up having TSA failures. So TSA, like the security when you're going through the line. So I keep having these TSA fails. So I'll like wear pants with a bunch of zippers, and then I end up getting really close and personal with the TSA agent. Um, or one time it just skipped my mind that you can't bring like an entire jar of peanut butter with you because that's like a gel or a cream. <laughs> so unless it's only eight ounces or whatever it is of peanut butter. Um, so this time I had one of the biggest TSA fails that I've had, except that it, it, it's, I'm not sure how big of a fail it is quite yet, okay? And the fail was is that I went to the airport basically dressed like this with sandals on and no socks. And a bunch of other people in the line had sandals on and no socks. So that meant that people were walking through there with their feet, their potentially fungus-covered feet through the TSA line. Is nobody else grossed out by this? Like, this was like, so I'm like in the line like, oh my gosh, do I have any socks? Can I tiptoe? What do you do? Like, I have just have no idea. So I have not had any signs of the fungus yet, but that was what I was thinking. I was like, how can this not happen to me right now? Do I have any cuts? Anyway. So I'm, I'm kind of stressed out, and I'm in the line, and I'm thinking about this reality that I'm about to face and my continuous TSA failures. And, um, it's, and, and I'm flying back from Indianapolis. And out of the corner of my eye, I notice this little boy who's probably about four or five, and he's kind of like messing around. Like he's like jumping in and out of the little lines, and he's making noise, and he's yelling, and his parents are looking super stressed. And he's just messing around, and he's probably four, probably four years old. So... I'm trying to have compassion for this little kid, but all of a sudden, I hear his dad grab him by the arm. I see him grab him by the arm, and he says to him, loud enough for a lot of us to hear, if you don't stop messing around, a mean guy is going to come take you from us. Yeah, and that was my reaction. Like, I think I like, audibly gasped. I was like, <gasps> and, uh, and, and then I'm trying not to stare, but I notice out of the corner of my eye the look of terror on this little boy's face. Like, he just looked scared out of his mind. And as I was continuing to get in the line and, and, and continue to move on, I, I couldn't help but think how formative this experience must be for this little boy. Like, he's so young. 
Like, this is something that's going to stick with him for a really long time, don't you think? So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how his dad was probably just doing the best he could. Like, he was super stressed and maybe genuinely thought that they might get in trouble if his kid didn't calm down at the, in the line, because, of course, it's very serious. But as I was thinking about this, I began to think about this conversation we've been having about picturing God, about how we imagine God in our minds, about how we have come to understand who God is in various ways in our lives. And early in our lives, we receive so many messages about who God might be, don't we? Some of those messages about God are spoken directly to us. Some of them are indirect and kind of happen through our experiences or the communities that we're a part of through our environment. And many of those experiences are negative, like this little boy was having. Many of those experiences have communicated to people, I know for me, things like, you better stop behaving like that or God will punish you. If you really want God to love you, you better do this or that or stop doing this or that right away or God won't love you. Messages that tell you things like, if you really want God to be proud of you and to think that you're really genuinely following God, then you need to make sure you check the list of all the boxes of the religious things. These are messages that some of us have received, and all of us have had different experiences with our understanding of God through our lives. But I wonder for you, what are some of the earliest memories you have about, about God? What are the, some of the things? Think about that for a minute. What are some of the earliest memories that somebody said something to you or you wondered about God? Maybe you didn't grow up in a religious environment, but what are some of your earliest memories? Perhaps you thought of some things that are positive. I know I did. When I think about my earliest memories, I think of some really positive experiences that I had with my parents and, and fortunately with my church. But there's some negative ones too that sometimes I wonder, how did I even get that in my mind? I don't remember somebody telling me that. But nevertheless, it's something that I've come to believe about God. This is called forming our God concept, okay? Our God concept. Everybody has a God concept, which is different than a God complex. That's like a totally different sermon that's not what we're talking about. A God concept. Um, actually, there's a psychologist, and her name is Anna Maria Rosito. And she's a psychologist that back in the 70s first coined this term God concept, as far as I could tell. She's the first person that said that. And, and her and other people have, since then, have done studies to try to understand how do, does our God concept form? How do we come to an understanding of who God is? So a God concept is how our mind is is trying to represent who God is and our relationship to God. And her studies and, and in the 70s and then many studies since have come to, to prove that children will begin to have a God concept as young as two and three years old. Kids will have this understanding of something bigger than themselves uh, that we might use a term like God or the divine. Even if they don't grow up in a religious household, many, many kids will have this ability to express, even as a little two and three-year-old, uh, that they have a God concept, this understanding of this divine being that's bigger than them and transcends their internal reality and their external reality. Now, we don't have three-year-olds talking about their internal and external reality or transcending, but they're able to ask kids questions to come to this understanding. They have a God concept at that young. So that means that every single one of us have been, have been trying to come to this understanding of our God concept for decades, right? Most of us here, a couple of you are teenagers, so maybe you've only got one decade so far, but for decades, we've been trying to understand what this means, and, and even if it wasn't intentional, it's been happening to us. Perhaps at times it was intentional on our own part. We were seeking after our God concept. Sometimes it was intentional upon 
because of caregivers in our lives, our parents, grandparents, a church community. But whether it was intentional or not, it's happening. A God concept is being developed, and our experiences form a lot of where this concept comes from. Does that make sense to everybody? So here we are now, adults, or almost adults, who are have some agency, we have some choice about the experiences that we're going to step into that will continue to form our concept of God. We all have a choice now about how we're going to engage in that. And, and I think we now get to inform, in a lot of ways, our own pursuit of how we come to understand God and grow in our understanding of God. And I hope you can see how that's a lifelong pursuit. It's not something we ever get to the end of where we can put a period at the end of that sentence of who God is in our lives. And some of you, and I would suggest maybe really all of us, feel a little bit of the reality of the anxiety and pressure of these young kids we have here at Mill City. We like to talk about our kids here at Mill City, whether they're our kids or not. They're all our kids. And there's some responsibility we have to these little kids who are developing a God concept right now, aren't they? And I bet some of you parents feel the most pressure because they live with you, trying to understand who God is. And they're going to develop a God concept whether you're intentional about it or not. And that's a real stark reality, I think, for a lot of us. I know for me. So today I'm going to conclude this series, but I want to be really clear. When, you, when I say I'm concluding the series, I don't mean we're ending the conversation. In a lot of ways, this is what we're doing every Sunday. We're coming together to discover more of who God is in our lives, to try to go deeper in our understanding, whether we're in a time of doubt and questioning or in a time of excite, excitement pursuing God or maybe kind of in the middle feeling kind of mundane. We're coming together to try to create a space and a rhythm in our life to pursue an intentional growth in our understanding of God. That's what we're doing here on Sunday, for instance, right? And so if you've got it in your head, I go to a worship service on Sunday because that's what God wants me to do. What I want to encourage you to imagine is perhaps it's about putting a regular rhythm in your life to continue to pursue your ever-evolving and growing understanding of God. Because I don't know about you, but if I don't have a rhythm for something in my life, it doesn't happen. It happens by accident, but it doesn't happen intentionally. So I think that's kind of what we're doing here. We're coming together to create a rhythm to pursue who God is and who Jesus is in our lives. That's what we're doing here. So as I was kind of praying about how to conclude this series, you can kind of see why it felt kind of weighty to me, um, how we're going to kind of put a conclusion on a conversation that's really ongoing. But as I was praying about it, this, this prayer came to mind, this prayer that, that I've probably prayed more for our church than any other prayer. As you can imagine, pastors have a lot of different prayers that they pray for their church. I've prayed that we would have unity and diversity. I've prayed that we would have strength in the midst of fear and anxiety that a lot of us face. I've prayed for a lot of very specific prayers for a lot of you. I've prayed that God would meet the resources that our church needs. In fact, it was this time last year when we found out last minute that Sheridan had some updates they had to do and we couldn't worship here for six weeks. Who was there for that? Some of you were there. I'm like getting the little hand. I know, because it's because you're sweaty, and so you don't want to do that. I get it. There was a bunch of you there, because we had to move, and we didn't know what we were going to do, and I believe that God really opened up an opportunity for us to worship for the summer at Northeast Middle School a couple miles from here, and I say God did that because the first answer we got was no when we asked. So I've prayed that God would meet our resources in these different ways, but, but when there's times when I don't really even know what to pray, but my heart is so full with how I feel about all of you and the, the, the burden, but also the excitement I have about, about what it means to be one of your pastors, there's this prayer that I come back to time and time again, and it's a prayer that, that Paul, one of the early leaders in the church, prayed in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And I, I want to read it for you today, and I actually want us to, to look into that text today as we conclude this conversation. So if you have a Bible, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, but we'll have it up here on the screen as well. 
So like I said, Paul, he's one of the earliest leaders of the church after Jesus had kind of sent the church out. And, and as he's writing to this church in the city of Ephesus, that's what the book of Ephesians is, a letter to this church in Ephesus, he's writing to them from prison. He's actually in bondage because of his faith in Jesus and for proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And so he's writing this letter to this church, and he's expressing his heart as a pastor. And when I read this, it certainly feels like it expresses my heart as a pastor. But I want to tell you one other thing. I think it expresses God's heart as, as a God who pastors us, who, who leads us, who is the pastor of the pastors, the shepherd. So I want you to hear it today, not just as my heart for you or Paul's heart for his church, but God's heart for you. And so in, in Ephesians 3, um, Paul has just been talking about how easy it might be to be discouraged. Does that sound familiar? The people in Ephesus have some really tough things going on, so they have been feeling discouraged. And so he said, I know that it's been easy to be discouraged. And then he just kind of breaks into this prayer almost out of nowhere, okay? And this is what he says. I know you've been discouraged. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then he just keeps going, and he just keeps telling them things that are on his heart for them. He just breaks into this prayer right in the middle of the things that he's saying to this church. And as I was studying this passage I, I'm being vulnerable with you. I almost burst into tears at one point, and if you know me, that's not normal, okay? <laughs> but I almost burst into tears as I was studying this passage because I read that, that Paul wrote this letter to this church that he helped start. He's a church planter. He helped start this church in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter to them at the 10-year mark, which is right where Mill City's at. In a couple months, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary. And if you've been around, you, I keep talking about it because it feels really significant to me as a church planter that God has led us for 10 years. On one hand, it's just 10 years. That's a pretty young church. On the other hand, God has led us to this place. God has formed us to become this body of people following Jesus together in this neighborhood, and it's super significant to me. And the fact that Paul was writing this letter to this church 10 years in felt super significant to me, and so it's been making me emotional. For those of you who think that's unusual for me, you're right. And so if, you, if that's interesting, you can spend more time around me, and it's happening a lot these days. So whether you've been here since the first day or five years in or this is the last, this just this last year you've joined in or maybe this is your first week, I'm just so thankful and emotional in a good way for what God's been doing. So the question we have is what makes this prayer so significant in our understanding of the image of God? What makes this prayer something that I really feel like is God's heart for what it means for us to picture God? To, to understand who God is. So I want to go through it a little bit, but first, uh, Paul is very theology-heavy in his writing. 
So sometimes if you spend time reading the letters, which I hope you try sometime, it can kind of mess with your head because he's talking about a lot of theology in a, in a short amount of time. And so I actually want to do just a, to stop and do something that I've done a couple times. I call it seminary for everybody, seminary for everyone. Do some people remember me doing that? So seminary is basically pastor school. If you don't know what that is, that's fine. But it's pastor school. I went to pastor school. All your, pa- all your pastors went to pastor school. We have interns from seminary. I teach at Bethel Seminary. So pastor school. But here's the thing. You guys are very bright people, I can tell by looking at you. And so I want to just explain something that's theological but deep and, and meaningful for us that we see here in this passage. So is that okay, seminary for everybody? Not. All right, cool. So seminary for everyone, I want to talk about the image of God and the concept of Trinity, okay? Because Paul is very much talking about this concept of Trinity. So here's some ways we've tried to depict Trinity over the years in church history. You see these three beings, You see this kind of art. There's a lot of art. If you Google Trinitarian art, a lot of artists trying to understand it. And then the next slide's a little bit more of like a heady understanding of who, how God relates as three in one, three persons, one being, this different language. So this is the kind of nerdy textbook version, right? But here we we have to understand a little bit what it means that God is three in one. Pastor Cecilia last week was talking about how God exists in Trinity as community. God exists as community. And she talked about how from Genesis to Revelation, we see this idea of God being three persons yet still one, okay? And here, Paul is just weaving through the three persons of the Trinity like it's no big deal, all right? Look at these these spots just in this prayer. Verse 14, I kneel before the Father. Verse 15, strength from God's Spirit. Verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, the wide, long, high, deep love of Christ, of Jesus. Verse 19, that you'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God as three in one being weaved. Do you see how he's doing that? He does it all throughout his letters. This is one of the earliest concepts, Trinity, that I remember as a kid that just blew my mind when I was trying to understand God. Did anybody else have that experience? It just blew my mind. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm asking a ton of questions. I was that kid in Sunday school, like, wait, it still doesn't make sense, asking more questions. Some of you are probably having that experience right now with your own kids where you're trying to explain something that's unexplainable to them and their minds are getting blown by this concept. My first memory of the Trinity was actually uh, somebody praying a blessing at my church and at the end of the prayer, they said, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And that was one of my first early memories. And I soon realized that in the church I grew up in, we didn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that's anyone else's experience here. Um, For others of you, that was the main person of the Trinity that your community talked about. But unless we were saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we didn't talk a lot about the Spirit. It was really more like the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. That was our Trinity. Anyone else? I I see some smiles. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's not a big deal. But I remember that I was given like a ton of analogies to help me understand the concept. Maybe if you thought about this in the past, somebody has given you some analogies. So here's some of them. The Trinity is like ice and liquid and steam, vapor. It's three in one, but it's all water. I think that little Holy Spirit looks like something else, but it doesn't matter. Or God is like a tree that has roots and then branches and then fruit, three in one, okay? Another analogy that I've been given is that God is like the sun. It's a star and it has heat and it gives light. This is another analogy. So here's the problem with the analogies, is that they all fall short of explaining the concept of the Trinity. 
And like not a little bit fall short, like significantly fall short to the point where actually uh, this, they call them a heresy. And if you don't know what a heresy is, um, to be clear, that's not a good thing. And that's a whole nother seminary for everybody. But meaning that like the mystery of God is so big that these little analogies are actually, or these metaphors are like actually taking away from, from the concept so significantly that it's not really helpful anymore, okay? This, it's because, and there's a good reason for this, it's because all of our human analogies are limited. Human analogies are limited. They all reduce a big concept to the point where it's so reduced that it's what we call theological reductionism, okay? See, isn't this fun? Seminary for everybody? Theological reductionism, the concept of taking a biblical doctrine and reducing it, summarizing it, or boiling it down to one finite statement that could very well be an oversimplification. This is why theology and Twitter don't go well together. Think about that for a minute, right? So this is what happens when we try to use human metaphors and analogies to understand the mystery of the Trinity, this huge concept. This concept we see in the meta-narrative strewn throughout as like a thread throughout the entire story. The meta-narrative means like the big God story that we see in the Bible. And so we see this reality this whole time. And for me, this is one of my personal hang-ups when it comes to trying to picture God. Maybe this has been a hang-up for you guys. Because I can't wrap my head around this concept of God being three in one at the same time. Maybe some of you are with me in that. But I learned this phrase in seminary that's actually from the Catholic Catechism of Faith. And, and there's a lot of helpful things in there that, that sometimes feel like they are reductionists themselves. But here, listen to this. The mystery of the most holy trinity is the central mystery of Christian faith and life. It is the mystery of God in himself. The mystery of the most holy trinity is the central mystery of Christian faith and life. And as I read this, I remember how it dawned on me that perhaps the Trinity is a mystery to be in awe of, not just a theology to try to understand. And I started to realize, man, what has happened? Where has my sense of wonder gone? My sense of wonder of the mystery of a God who is so much bigger than my human brain and my human metaphors and analogies can understand. The Trinity is best thought of not as any of these analogies, but the reality that the Trinity exists in community or as a family. The Trinity is the first family. The first family that is Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship, in constant selfless love towards one another. Not in a hierarchy of family, but the most perfect family of mutual love and mutual submission and mutual care, like no family that actually exists in this world. This is a reality, and that family, thanks be to God, is what God invites us into. God invites us to be in the family of God. And the family of God is not just a nice family to look at or to understand. It's a family on mission. It's a family with a purpose. It's a family that loves each other so well that they want each person, each being, trinity being and human being, to step into their fullness of their purpose. The family of God is a sending family, not a holding back family. Some of you have been in earthly families that are holding back families. But the family of God is a sending family that sends us in to the world that God loves to say to a world that this, the brokenness that we experience in this world is not the end of the story. 
that there is love and there is hope and there is a future. The Father, so what I mean by ascending sending family, the Father sends the Son, Jesus, to the world. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. You can see that in the biblical story. And then the Trinitarian God is sending us, which is what it means at the core to be a part of the family, participants in the family. Does that make sense? The Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. And God is sending us and doesn't leave us alone because God has already been sent and is amongst us. This catechism from, from that I just read, the Trinity is the central mystery. Isn't that still just totally mysterious, though? The idea of the family of God still blows my mind. What does that even mean? God's in this perfect relationship. We get to be a part of it. It doesn't always feel like that. Some days I wake up and I'm like, what are we even doing here? It's a mystery. It's the central mystery, meaning there's even more mysteries about who God is. And the fact that God cannot be fully comprehended can be really frustrating, can't it be? I feel like it is frustrating that I can't fully understand God. But it can also be exciting, too. The idea that there's a lifelong pursuit of knowing something that, that you can't fully comprehend ever, but you can know more about it. So I know that for me, I often long for simplicity, clarity, certainty. Anyone else a fan of those things? I love that. I love, I wish, I wish that there would be simplicity and clarity and certainty in my understanding of God. But the reality is, I don't know that I could believe in a God that I could fully understand. I don't know that I could really have faith and, and trust in a God that I can fully get my human brain around because wouldn't that mean that this God is kind of small? Would a God that my finite human brain can understand even be worthy of worship? I, in my opinion, I just don't think that I would feel compelled to worship a God that I can fully understand. I mean, this idea that we can have a relationship with God rather than just knowledge about God means that we're constantly in a spot where we're evolving and learning and growing to learn more about God because God's complexity is never-ending. Another word for that would be infinite. God, by very definition, is infinite. And our minds have limits, don't they? Mine does. My mind is finite. And if that's why I look blankly at you while I'm trying to remember your name, that's why. We are finite human beings. Our brains can only comprehend so much, but God, by very definition, is infinite. And so we see as we relate to God just how finite we are, don't we? We see as we relate to other humans how finite our understanding is. So, so this, like, think about any relationship in your life. I think about my relationship with my husband. I'm going to be in relationship with him as long as we live. And I'm telling you right now, there is no way I'm ever going to fully understand that guy. Like, if you know J.D. O'Brien, if I had 150 years, I would never fully understand that man. But that's true for any relationship. I bet some of you feel that way about your kids. You're just like, oh, you're so great, or you're just crazy at the same time. You can't understand your friends and your relationships, your, your siblings. You'll never fully understand because that's how complex we are as humans and how finite our minds are. We can only take it one day at a time. If me and JD are going to stay married, we can only take it one day at a time and try to understand each other the best we can because some days it's really frustrating. But other days, it's really exciting, and I just want to understand more about how strange he is and what that means for us. And isn't that how it is with God? Some days or seasons feel really frustrating. You feel like you don't understand, or God feels really far away, or your brain feels like it's exploding. But there's other days where it's exciting, and seasons where you feel like every mystery that you continue to step into is opening up a whole other world of understanding to you. Okay. 
Seminary session is over, so you all passed, just because I think you all kept your eyes open. I want to just share my heart with you as we close, okay? I want to share my heart. Because my heart for you as one of your pastors is that you would embrace a life where you are in a never-ending pursuit of knowing God. Not just knowing about God, but knowing God in a relationship. I'm pumped for you to keep knowing about God, but, but just knowing God in a relationship. My heart for you is that even in the darkest moments of doubt and, and questioning, that you would keep pressing into questions, not run away from them, even if they're hard and uncomfortable. My heart for you is that you would take it one step at a time in those frustrating seasons and give yourself grace and give yourself love when you don't understand. Let other people love you. My heart for you is that you would love yourself enough to keep pushing through when that critical thinking becomes cynicism. I I would hope that you would love each other enough to be patient with each other when you're at completely different places in your faith because you all are. My hope for you is that you would let yourself feel the emotions when some of you don't like to be emotional like me, but you would let yourself feel the emotions when you feel so excited about what God's doing in your life that you wouldn't be afraid of that. You would go for it when God's giving you ideas and concepts and new understanding of him and new purpose and meaning that you would let your heart go there. That's my heart for you, that you would be in awe of the infinite reality of what it means that God is three in one, that you would make sure that you keep intentionally opening up your God-given mind to understand God intellectually, but that you would keep opening up your God-given heart to experience God relationally. Because we see Pastor Paul here (laughs) express that same heart to these people that he loves. And that's why I think I connect with it so much when I read it. This is his heart for the people that he loves. Let me just read it through one more time. Just talk about it for a second. Follow along with me if you can on the screen. Paul says, for this reason, because you're discouraged, I kneel before the Father whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. The family, every family, your family, we're a part of one family, the family of God. God invites us into that family. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We're going to need strength and power, don't we? Because it's hard. We need the strength that comes from God's spirit in our lives. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Jesus would be in your heart. I know sometimes I just kind of giggle about how when I was a kid, I was told to ask Jesus into my heart, but that's what this is about. That's actually what we're doing, opening our heart, that, that he, would, he would dwell or make his home in us. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Because to know this love is what surpasses knowledge. When our finite minds hit its limits, it's only God's love that can go beyond that for us because we'll always hit our limit. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's be clear, Paul's not saying that you may completely understand and comprehend God. It's not a fullness of comprehension. It's a fullness of experience. That you may have a full experience in this life of who God is and God's love for you through Jesus, as he just said. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could all ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. When we get to a point where we think we've got God all figured out, here's Paul saying, no, 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 no. You can't even imagine 
who God is truly. Let that be something that draws you to wonder and awe and prayer because God can do more than you could ask or imagine because God is at work within us. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't believe it, God is moving and working, didn't leave us on this earth by ourselves, but is with us. And then he finishes up, to him, to this Jesus, to God, this Trinitarian God, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Because that's what it's actually about. God's heart is that we would be people who join in the family to glorify the leader of the family, God and Trinity. That, that would be what it's about, the kingdom of God, something so much bigger than ourselves that we're not just living for our own life, but for something bigger than ourselves, a family that everyone can be welcomed into. This is what this is about, the family of God, a family that says to the world, you belong, you're not alone. So I believe that God created your mind and your heart, and God knows the limitations of those things because God made you. I believe that God is never shocked or scared from our doubts or our questions or our confusion or our fear. God's not concerned to, to, to be afraid of those things, but God's heart reaches out to us. God is not surprised, but God's heart reaches to us. God is, is there for the brokenhearted. God's heart breaks for the brokenhearted, but God is not shocked. So we've used this image of this vintage picture frame as we've been talking about who God is. And man, sometimes I would love to just put this beautiful picture of God on my wall in my living room, and there it is. I got it figured out. I don't have to ask any more questions. But perhaps the reality of following God looks a little bit more like this next picture. Trippy, right? Where we're going into an understanding of God where we come to a deeper, more full understanding of God because we're asking questions. And then we get there and we realize we can go even deeper, even farther, or ask even more questions and explore even deeper. And we will continue on frame by frame in our life until we're with God fully in the new heaven and new earth. I think this actually is what pursuing the image of God looks more like in our life this lifelong pursuit that will grow and shift and change as we experience different aspects of life, as we go through joys and sorrows and everything in between, as we meet new people who have different perspectives than ours, as we go deeper in our understanding of Scripture and how God reveals God's self through God's Word. Frame upon, upon frame, we enter into our current limited reality but open into a new space. So the mystery of God might be pretty daunting. I think it is in a lot of ways. But if Paul's prayer, my prayer, manifests itself in your heart, then God's going to give you strength for the journey. I'm going to have the band come back up. And what I want to ask you to do is they're coming up. I want to ask you, would you be willing to join me in this prayer for our church? Not, not right this moment. We're not going to read it or anything. I, I want to invite you to join me in praying this prayer over our church in this season. Would you pray regularly that God may strengthen us through power of the Holy Spirit? Because we're going to need that strength, right? We need strength to hold the tension of our world. We need strength to say, I don't know, when someone asks you a question about God that you can't answer, right? We're going to need strength to be able to admit to our kids that we don't have it all figured out. That's a hard one. To, to be honest when we're facing questions and doubts. We need strength to love people who are different than us and believe things differently than us, right? We need strength to stay engaged on mission in a world of all these little kingdoms that sometimes say that they're doing things in Jesus' name, but they're not. They have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, and we need strength 
to be people who step into that and stay engaged. We need power and strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen? So then join me in praying, as Paul did for this young 10-year-old church, that we would be rooted in the love of Jesus, that we would be filled by the love of Jesus to all the measure of the fullness of God, because we need that love, don't we? We need it not only to fill us up, but to overflow onto the lives that God has put right around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, maybe even our enemies. May that love be so real in our life, may we be in close enough proximity to people who feel like enemies that that could even happen. We're going to need that love and that we could trust that God can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, that God's power is at work, and that we would pray that God would receive all the glory in the church, in Mill City Church, in the Church of Minneapolis. I don't know about you, but almost everything we just sang that we believe is a mystery to me. It blows my mind. And so would you receive this blessing that I have for you today, that you would allow God to continue to blow your mind. May you have your heart open to let God increase an understanding of God's relationship with you. May you keep your mind open to grow in an intellectual understanding of God as well. And may you be a person who has a posture of receiving the overwhelming love of God that we could never fully grasp how high and wide and deep it truly is so that it would overflow out of your life onto the people that God has placed around you. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.